0: Uh, the Lord has just been uh doing a lot in us and in me to say the least and uh and I had a message on uh Solomon that I think I'm gonna say for next week because the Lord gave me another one yesterday and so uh I'm gonna give you a couple of prefaces before. Number one, I'm gonna take some major leaps in this message. so um so I'll just go with me or not so it's your choice. Um, but i'm gonna I'm gonna take some major leaps. All Orthodox, but maybe a little different than how you've seen some of this stuff. Maybe you've never heard the story. First Kings is my favorite book of the Bible. And First Kings 17, 18, and 19 are my favorite three chapters in First Kings. It's Elijah. This is all of Elijah crammed right here in these three chapters, basically, until he passes on the mantle. So this is my favorite. I I taught on this, I want to say it was two years ago. It might have been last year. Um when he put this 12 stones down, pointed back to Joshua, all that stuff. I'm not going to get into that today. I am going to get into 1 Kings 19. So let me uh, summarize. I don't have a bunch of writing I'm going to read beforehand because this is all brand new. But I am going to just point some things out and probably chase 100 rabbits. It is the season for rabbits to start coming back out. So that's dangerous for y'all. That was a dad joke too. so. Um, So anyway, anyway. So in 1 Kings 17... Just to give you a quick summary, Elijah announces a drought. It's the first thing we see. 1 Kings 17 opens up, introduces Elijah, and he goes to Ahab, the king in Israel. And he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I'm served, there will neither be rain or dew uh, in the next few years except at my word. Okay. The Lord responds, so he announces a drought. Let me point this out, because this is going to be major. Let me point this out. There is nothing in Scripture that says the Lord told him to announce a drought. I told you I'd take some leaps. Okay? Now, because James 5, James 5 points back to this story, and it says that Elijah prayed for a drought, and the Lord answered him. But there's nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, Where the Lord goes to Elijah and says, I want you to go to Ahab and tell him I'm bringing a drought. Nowhere. Okay? I'm not saying it's a bad thing that he announced a drought at all. Uh, But what I am saying is uh, that that, that's really important for the rest of this. So, y'all just hold on to that little nugget. The Lord's response... Okay? The Lord's response, he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I who, who I serve, there will ne- neither be rain or dew in the next few years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Just to point this out, okay? The Bible is very clear. It doesn't say the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Go announce a drought. He announces a drought, and then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and he says, Leave. Where does he tell him to go? He says, Leave here. Turn eastward, which is the the direction that the Israelites would have come from the wilderness into the promised land. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. So this is the wilderness the Israelites were in before the promised land. Okay, Turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So... He announces a drought. He announces a drought. The Lord comes to him and says, leave, go to the wilderness and hide in the Kareth Valley. What does Kareth mean? Kareth means the place of cutting off or cutting down. Okay? Announces a drought. He says, leave, go into the wilderness to the place where I'm going to start cutting some things. and in the wilderness because if there's a drought we don't know anything about drought lord we got floods but <laughs> but but if there's a drought what happens to the food what obviously happens to the water what happens to everything that sustains life what happens it dies right so he says i want you to go into the wilderness to the place of cutting and there you while everybody else is losing all their resources You will drink from the brook, and I'll have ravens bring you food. So while everybody else is suffering in this famine, in this drought, I'm going to supply your needs in the secret place. Okay? I might need a little bit of help today, because I am going to take a lot of jumps. Elijah's response to Israel's idolatry. Was to try and use his prophetic gifting to turn Israel back to God. The Lord's response was to send him into the secret place or the wilderness of cutting. Just, just, I want you to compare these two, okay? Elijah, the most gifted prophet maybe ever, okay? I know that could be debated. I like Elijah. Elijah sees Israel's idolatry, and he says, I'm a man of God, ask and you shall receive. So Lord, let's bring a drought on this bad boy. So he announces a drought to try to turn Israel back. The Lord goes to Elijah and announces to him, I want you to go into the secret place. I've got some stuff I need to cut. Now check this out. Here we go. I'm so excited about this. This my favorite three chapters. So he goes east, goes to the Careth Ravine. He stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now check this out. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Why? Because there had been no rain in the land. Now why is there no rain in the land? Because Elijah announced a drought. Right? The brook he had been drinking from in the wilderness of hiding in the secret place, let's say, dried up because of the effects from the world and culture around him. Go into the secret place, the place of cutting, and I'll start supplying for you. But when the world around him starts getting into this drought season, what happens to his secret place where he once was being fed? It dries up. Now, I, before I go any deeper, this should start making some connections in a lot of your lives. Let's say 2020. While the, the world around you starts crumbling, and then all of a sudden, what do you find happening in the secret place? Things start crumbling. I mean, Right? Because, because I believe there are some decisions that we, and we're going to get into this, that we have made that weren't, and this goes, goes back to Tuesday night, that weren't wrong decisions, but they may have been decisions that we made in the wrong season. Could it be that the Lord wanted to fix some things in Elijah before he sent Elijah to fix some things in Israel? Real quiet. When this happens, when this happens, the Lord sends him then to Zarephath, which means, you ready for this? The place of refining. So when the, when the uh, Kerith ravine dries up, he then says, now go to the place of refining and he sends him to a fatherless house, to a widow. The Lord is trying to give him insight into how he was going to play a role in the Lord turning Israel back. There, there, when he gets there, he raises a son back to life. He raises a son back to life after dying. And where does he do it? In an upper room. Man, I wish I had time to read this whole thing. And after raising the son... The whole household was convinced to trust in the Lord. So so just think, he announces a drought to get Israel to turn back to the Lord, right? He's sent to the place of refining, and there, he doesn't announce a drought. There, he fathers a fatherless household, and while fathering a fatherless household, raises a son back to life in an upper room. And when he does that, what happens to the family? They turn back to the Lord. Then the Lord sends him to Ahab. The prophets of the Lord, or excuse me, the prophet of the Lord Elijah, and the many prophets of Baal and Asherah meet on Mount Carmel. Okay, it's going to sound very familiar. But I'm just giving you kind of a, a, a background before we go into uh, 1 Kings 19. So the Lord sends him to Ahab. Then the prophet of the Lord, Elijah, and the many prophets of Baal and Asherah meet on Mount Carmel. Baal is proven fake in front of all of Israel. And the Lord answers Elijah by fire, proving that Yahweh is the true God. Anybody else remember the story? You ever read this? Okay, it's really awesome. If you haven't, you need to go back and read this. <clears throat> then... What happens after this is Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal, ridding the land of them, and he prays seven times, and the Lord sends rain. So God restores rain, and Elijah is victorious. Now, if that ends right there, it's an amazing story. Amazing story, right? Is, he, he caught, can you imagine the guts this takes? When he goes, he thinks he's alone, Okay? Now, he's told later on that there are some other prophets that have been hidden. But at this point, he's kind of alone. So he goes to Ahab, the king, the worst king in all of Israel that had ever, ever been king. He was the worst. He's married to Jezebel, which the, especially the Pentecostal church is super fascinated with. But anyway, he, uh, I just got to, you know, slide. Anyway, so he's married to Jezebel. And Jezebel is the one who has killed all the prophets. The, all the prophets of Baal, Jezebel, had, I mean, uh, not of Baal, of uh, the Lord, Jezebel has killed them. Shut off the word of the Lord. Thought He goes to Ahab and he says, I want you to gather all of Israel. We're going to meet on Mount Carmel. We're going to settle this thing. So hundreds of prophets of Baal come up to this mountain. Elijah's by himself. And he says, y'all take your pick of the best stuff. You go first. I'll go second. I'll take all the worst stuff. So all day long, they're cutting themselves, they're acting fools, they've lost their ever-loving mind, they're screaming, they're dancing, standing on their head, all this other stuff, and of course, nothing happens, right? And so, so then, and he even slides this in there, and he says, well, maybe, maybe he's just off doing something, or maybe he's busy. Some translations actually say maybe he's relieving himself, Okay? So Elijah's just like, this is a great moment, you know. Like, well, maybe he went and grabbed something to eat, or you know, it's, just give it a few minutes. Maybe he'll come back and answer you all this other stuff. Of course, he never, never does. So then moves them out of the way. He takes the rest that's left over, builds back the. It's an amazing story. He builds back the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Okay, I could preach a whole message on that. He takes twelve stones, which I have preached a message on. Um, and stacks them up, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Specifically what it represents is when Joshua and the Israelites come out of the wilderness, Joshua takes 12 stones and makes them a memorial to say, this is when the Lord brought us into the land. So that's, he's kind of pointing back to original covenant and all this other fun stuff. Uh, they drench the whole thing in water, which how many of y'all, y'all know wet wood don't burn, right? Drenches it all in water. And then he prays, Lord, send fire, prove to all of them that you're the true God. Fire comes down, sucks up everything, including the water. And then Elijah, empowered by the fire and in this moment, says, y'all trap all of them and slaughters every prophet of Baal. And then he tells Ahab one of, I think, the most bad-to-the-bone phrases. He says, he says, to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. Whoo! It hadn't rained in years. And he said, after killing, the blood of all these prophets of Baal is just scattered everywhere. And he looks at Ahab in the eye, just how I imagine this, and says, you better go eat and drink because I hear rain. Amazing story. So he goes up on the mountain. He prays. He climbs back to Carmel, same place. He prays. He tells his servant, go look to the sea. He sees nothing seven times. Of course, seven being the number of completeness. Um, Go back. On the seventh time, a cloud as small as a man's hand. I wrote so much on that verse right there, and I'm not going to give it today, but one day, maybe. A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising, man's hand, rising from the sea. Okay. So the Lord takes something so small and insignificant that anybody else around him will look at it and say, there's no way rain's coming from that to send rain back to the land. Salah. Okay. Um, so this is where we end. Go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, a wind rose, a heavy rain started to fall. Ahab rode off to Jezebel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. The Lord's victorious. Elijah's the man, the prophet of the hour, century, probably and it's all good, right? One issue. How did Elijah's story start? I just told y'all. 1 so. Kings 17. How did Elijah's story start? He announces a drought, and then the Lord says, I need you to go hide in a place of cutting. This is how it starts out. He leaves the wilderness and goes directly to Ahab, which the Lord sent him to Ahab. I want to point out one more thing. If you can find a verse where the Lord told him to face off with all the other prophets of Baal, please let me know, because it ain't in there. The, the Lord, all we have recorded was that the Lord sent him to Ahab. He did not say, I want you to go, I want you to gather them all up, I want you to do this big show, I want you to pray down on fire, and I want you to slaughter all the prophets of God. Those are great things, and Elijah was probably called to do them. However, operating in what you're called to do is a great thing, but a bad thing in the wrong season. I taught on this Tuesday night, right? So, So just to reiterate, if you weren't here, a good thing, or I like to say the right thing in the wrong season is the wrong thing. So, for example, let's say we're called to have a 10 million person church. If the Lord brought 10 million people into this room before I as a leader had been so conquered in the secret place that I could father 10 million people, it would not be a good thing even though that's what we're called to have. Right? So, what I'm and what we really need to start positioning ourselves for is not when the Lord speaks we go. It's when the Lord speaks We listen to how we need to be aligned so that he can carry us into what he spoke. That's what he tells Jeremiah. I watch over my word to perform it. Right? Okay, so, y'all real quiet. The Lord never told Elijah to have a grand face-off with the prophets of Baal. It was an amazing victory and was needed. But like I just said, the right thing in the wrong season is the wrong thing. Yahweh wanted to rid the land of foreign things, absolutely. But I believe he wanted to finish the foreign things in Elijah first. Did Yahweh want to rid the land of the prophets of Baal? Absolutely. Did Yahweh want to rid fear out of Elijah first? Absolutely. And what you're about to see is what happens when you get into things prematurely. When you try to make things happen on your own, it ends up destroying who you're actually destined to become. He had to leave the first wilderness due to an effect of something he made happen in the culture, drought. Now Yahweh is sending him back into the wilderness to finish the job. This is what the whole message is about today. Finish the job. It doesn't matter how many people we bring back to life if we don't let Yahweh bring us back to life first. 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say... May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now, just to point out, he had just killed hundreds of prophets of Baal, and now this is one, Jezebel, one, the ringleader, that says, may the gods deal with me ever so severely, who had just been proven false, by the way, okay? If by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them, Listen to this. To listen to the stark contrast in this and 3 verses before this. So Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came back to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. And listen to what he said. I have this circle because I've said this at least a hundred times last year. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. I've had enough. I'm done all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there by his head was some bread over hot coals and a jar of water he ate and drank and then lay down again then the angel of the lord came back a second time and touched him and said get up and eat for the journey is too much for you oh man get up and eat for the journey Is too much for you. What journey? The journey into the wilderness this time. So he got up, ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled. Listen to this. See if this sounds familiar to you. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, Does anybody else remember where this is from? Forty days, forty nights on Mount Horeb in a cave. Shout his name out if you know it. Uh, Moses. Moses, Yes, Yes. thanks Mike. That was close, that was close. Moses. Mount Horeb is where God spent time with Moses forty days and forty nights to give him the original covenant. Same place. And most scholars believe that the cave Elijah is in right now is the same cleft of the rock that the Lord hid Moses in when he said, my glory is about to pass you by. So he's in the place, let's say, of originality. He's in the place where the Lord first enters into covenant with Israel. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. He replied I've been I have been notice the past tense I have been very zealous for the Lord God almighty the israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword i am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too and the lord responds go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the lord for the lord is about to pass by again where does that sound familiar Moses, right? I mean, it's almost verbatim, almost copy and paste. Now, here we go. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The other translation of that is, Complete silence. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophet to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now listen to what he says. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint. Now this this is the first time the Lord gives him a command to do something. In this whole narrative, this is the first time the Lord says, I want you to go and do this. First time. And he says, I want you to go anoint Haziel, king of Aram, anoint Jehu of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I don't know if you, man, 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 Lord, help me deliver this like you gave it to me. He gets word, he gets word that Jezebel, who had killed all the prophets of the Lord, other than the ones that Obadiah hid, which you can see in 1 Kings 18, is out for his life. Jezebel is out for his life. She had killed all the other prophets of Baal or all the other prophets of the Lord, and he's out she's out for Elijah. He had just killed all the hundreds of prophets of Baal, but now is scared of their ringleader. Fear for his life causes him to run into the wilderness again. But this time he wouldn't leave until the Lord finished what I believe. This is just me should have been finished his first trip in the wilderness. The Lord uses uses this opportunity to send him back into the wilderness to finish what should have been finished the first time he left the wilderness. He says, "I've had enough. I quit." This is Elijah, just called down fire, turned all the nation back to the Lord, proved the Lord Yahweh is Yahweh, is the only true God, had just done this amazing, miraculous stuff, and two verses later, he says to the Lord, three verses later, four verses later, says to the Lord, I've had enough, take my life, I'm done. Huh? Huh? I mean, that should have been the moment where he said, I got all the other prophets of Baal. Let's go after Jezebel and finish this bad boy. No. He does all this amazing stuff. Everything that he was actually called to do. But because the fear issue wasn't taken care of the first time in the wilderness, now, in the midst of his ministerial success, he's fearing and running for his life, ready to quit, Because of things in him that had never been dealt with before his ministerial success. I mean, are y'all here this morning? Okay. Let me say it like this. He let the Lord deal. He did not. He should have let the Lord deal with some things before he stepped out into all his dreams and aspirations. To trace it back to Tuesday night. the, The most detrimental thing that we have done to people's calling is to tell them to chase them too early. I mean, can you... See, we think, we think the enemy... And I hate talking about the enemy. Lord, I hate him. But but we 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 think the enemy is going to show up and tell you don't follow your calling. Right? Pastor, you don't need to be a pastor. No, 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 no. Let me, let me tell you how the enemy actually operates. Okay? Hey... Man, you don't need to wait. Go ahead. What you waiting for? Now, I know people hear that, people hear that young people only, basically, hear this and they say, "Oh, you're telling me not to be obedient." No, no, no. I'm telling you to be more obedient. I'm not lowering the standard. I'm not saying you need to sit back and learn the whole Bible and memorize it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to wait until the Lord carries you into what he gave you. He doesn't give you something and and he doesn't give you something and say, "Strive, work, 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 burn out, and then you'll get it all." Right. That's what we think. But he says, this is what I want to do in your life. I want you to host the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But you better not try to make the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What you're going to do is you're going to get seated until you begin to host your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a drastic difference. One of those you get to by working. One of those you get to by sitting still and resting. Right. So if you try to go win the Super Bowl and you haven't slept in five weeks, guess what you're not going to be worth in the Super Bowl? Anything. But if your body is rested, then you can step out on the field and be all you've you've been called to be. Why? Because it came from a place of rest. What, What if, imagine this, what if the whole narrative that happened in 1 Kings 17 and 18, what if these chapters were reversed? What if you took 1 Kings 19 and placed it in 17, and 17 and 18, and 18 and 19? I mean, think about this. What if Elijah had been in the wilderness, standing at the mountain, sees the presence of the Lord, sees all this other stuff, but the Lord wasn't in, then hears complete silence or a gentle whisper, sees the Lord, and hears the Lord say, this is your calling. You're going to raise up sons Now, now, when he's going back to fix the issue in Israel, now how is he approaching it? Is he saying, he might say there's a drought, I don't know. Or is he saying, let me go find Elisha and we'll figure it out after that. Forty days and forty nights. We see that. Uh, well, we see the number 40 all throughout Scripture. But specifically, we see this 40-day, 40 40-night 40 journey in the wilderness, three primary places in Scripture. We see it with Moses when he's on the mountain getting the covenant. We see it with Elijah right here. Where else do we see this? With Jesus. Now, 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 now. Oh, no, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. Okay. getting ahead of myself. The first time, listen to this. The first time he went to the place of cutting... Kareth Ravine. This time he was in the place of covenant, Horeb. Just hang with me. The first time in the wilderness, he goes to the place of cutting. The second time he's in the wilderness, he goes to the place of covenant. When the Lord asks him, what are you doing here? His response is, I have been, not I am, I have been, Je- zealous for the Lord. He's lost his passion completely for the Lord. How did he lose his passion for the Lord? If you take scripture, by doing things on behalf of the Lord. He, he, did not, he didn't lose his passion by going out and sleeping around with everybody that came up to him. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that either. But he lost his passion being victorious over the enemy. Woo! Man, we're gonna kill all the prophets. I'm on top of the world. This is the in fact, I'm gonna make it even better. I'm gonna go bring the rain back. By the way, forgot about the rain. Lord, I'm ready, receive it. Calls back rain, the Lord answers him, it starts raining again. He's on top of the world, and yet within he is crumbling. This is the danger that we have today. And I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm talking about some of ministry because that's what I'm in. It's relatable to me. But this isn't just this is everything in life. That when you try to slide yourself into things, when the Lord before the Lord has called you to slide yourself into things, which I don't even know if he's ever called you to slide yourself into anything, but when you try to get into things the Lord has called you to do in your life without the anointing that only comes from the secret place of dying and entering back into covenant, you'll start to do things you were never called to do in the things you were called to do. So he was called to bring Israel back, He was not called, I don't believe, to bring Israel back by making these grand gestures of power. Those were awesome. But what does he do when he leaves here? This is the last thing we hear from Elijah pretty much until Elisha takes over. This is the last thing we hear. This is what he does. The first time he leaves the wilderness, he goes and does this great awesome thing. The second time he leaves the wilderness, check this out. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. There's a lot of stuff there. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Okay? Now listen to Elijah's reply. Go back, what have I done to you? He said, if you're going to wait, don't follow me. Let, hold on, let me go kiss my father and mother, and then I'll come with you. If that's the case, don't come with me. I mean, you, you, can, you can see such a shift. Elijah. In other words, I'll be okay being the only one. What did he tell the Lord a few minutes later, before that? Lord kill me, I'm the only one. Coming out of the wilderness, he goes to find Elisha, a son. And Elisha says, you know what? Let me go do, let me get everything in order, and then I'll follow. And he says, You know what? Stay, I'll do it myself. You can, you can see he's got another sense of purpose. Okay. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back, and this is what Elisha does. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate, and then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Uh, right, right here, son. The Lord shows up to Elijah on the mountain, in three ways that are very familiar to the Israelite culture here, wind, earthquake, and fire. These are visible ways that God had showed up to the Israelite people in visible displays of monumental moments. So when Moses is on the mountain, there's the cloud, there's thunder, all this other fire. Um, when they're leaving the uh, when they're leaving Egypt. The Lord sends this great wind, splits the sea. I mean, you just, this is all kind of that language they would have known. So uh, he shows up in wind, or he sends wind, he sends earthquake, and he sends fire, but it says the Lord was not in them. So these are ways that he showed up to the Israelite people in visible displays, yet in this moment he wasn't in those. Also, also, this language is not only Familiar to when Moses received the covenant in the same exact spot. This language is familiar because what did Elijah just call down from heaven right before this? Fire. So, this is very recent, very relevant to Elijah in this moment. He knows exactly what's going on. This time, in this moment, in the wilderness with this one man, Yahweh would not show up in a visible sign, but in a whisper that only a trip to the wilderness mountain of the Lord would align you to hear. Gentle whisper could also be translated complete silence, indicated not God's distance, God's nearness. I mean, I, I, so I've been, I've been guilty of saying this in the past year. Lord, you just feel silent right now because I translate silence as God being distant because I've been in a culture that tells us that God is distant. Right? But what if we could shift our posture to say that maybe in the moments when he's quiet, he's actually closest? Earthquake. Earthquake but the Lord's not in the earthquake. He sent it, but he's not in the earthquake. Wind, he sends, but he's not in the wind. Fire, he sends, but he's not in the fire. And then everything goes quiet. And Elijah throws his cloak over his face, saying, the Lord is here. Can you imagine this? Second time, he says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, I've taught this for a while, and if you've never heard this, that's okay. I, I do not believe the Lord is asking because he legitimately wants to know, hey, why are you here? I think what the Lord is speaking to in Elijah is, why are you here? How many of you know there's a difference in me not knowing who you are, not knowing you're showing up and saying, what are you doing here? And me looking at a son or daughter and say, saying, why are you here? Right? 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 This is God. He's not confused. He's not saying the Lord sent him out here. He's not saying, Elijah, why on earth are you here? You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't know. He's saying, No, Elijah, I need to speak some things in you. Why are you here? And like, well, I've been zealous. I'm afraid. You ain't been talking to me. You didn't answer. You answered my prayers, some of those prayers, but Lord, now Jezebel, you didn't, why didn't you get Jezebel out of the way for me? You know, just no, no, no. He's I've been I've been zealous for the Lord. But now I'm the only one left. Just take my life. I'm worthless. And he says, scratch that. No. Why are you here? Because that's not it. You're not here because you're the only one left. You're just like your ancestors and you're ready to die. That's not why you're here. You're here because you're a father. You're here because you're called to raise up who is going to carry a double portion of everything that you have. But the only way Elisha carries a double portion of what he has is if Elijah leaves this wilderness without the mindset that I've got to perform and instead leaves the wilderness with the mindset I've got to raise up sons. Those are very different things. One of those will remove your name from the rest of the book of 1 Kings. The other one will have your name all throughout and Israel still crumbling. when When we close out 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah maybe one or two times, and it's a blip until the end. He's gone. But what is he doing? He's raising up Elisha to carry what he never carried. So Elijah has shifted from, I've got to do, 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 Two, I've got to become, 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 and in becoming, I'm going to raise up other people who have become something I in my prime never had. And I'm okay with that. Drastic difference. He gives him that answer. Lord, I've been zealous. The Lord whispers, no, you're here because I'm trying to finish some things in you. Lay down their performance and be a father content to anoint sons. There's an Elisha that would have missed his purpose had you still been dealing with the misguided vision of Israel without realigning yours. And you're not the only one. I've actually reserved everyone I need who have also been in a secret place to deal with Israel. So he says, not only are you not what you say you are, You say you're the only one. I've reserved 7,000 that have also been in a hiding place that I'm going to bring my purpose through, with or without you. Now, that number 7,000, just to point this out, our Bibles, Matt says this a lot. He's got a new podcast going through the Bible. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. Um, Talk to him about it. It's really good. But anyway, and one of the ones he he mentions, he mentions this a lot. There's a difference in Eastern culture and Western culture. We live in the West. The Bible was written as an Eastern book, okay? So when we see 7,000, we want it to be 7,000 to the T on the dot. Two plus two equals four, right? But the way your scripture's written is that there, there might have been 7,130 or whatever. That, the, the number is not telling you how many exactly there are, the number is telling you what that group of people are, okay? So when it says 7,000, it's not saying, like, there are exactly 7,000 that I've been reserving. He's saying, I've reserved the completeness of who I need. That's what he's saying, okay? So some of y'all just got mad that I said that. That's okay. Um, I'm just joking. I just like to say that so that people that are mad won't do anything about it. Um, (laughs) The first time time he leaves the wilderness, where does the Lord send him? I pointed this out. The first... Well, the first time he leaves the wilderness, the Lord sends him to Zarephath to a fatherless house. Okay, first time he leaves. First time he leaves, he tells him to go father. That was close to him. That's okay. <laughs> the second time he leaves the wilderness, where does the Lord send him? <laughs> to father. You'll settle, and I, will settle for a life of performing good works rather than being a good work if you don't let him finish things in the secret place that he wants to finish. One more time. You'll settle for a life of performing good works rather than being a good work if you don't let him finish the things in the secret place that he wants to finish in you. The works, listen to this, the works are the Lord's. Okay? So if I said today, y'all, we don't have a works-based salvation, everybody would be like, yes, amen, amen, that's so good. You know? Why? Because all the works are the Lord's. You with me? So if the works are the Lord's, our job is to align ourselves with what He's doing, with or without us, By becoming the fullness of the image we bear, which is his. So the Lord's saying, I'm going to bring heaven on earth, whether or not I got 7,000 or whether or not I got one. It's coming. So either you can align yourself to host what I'm going to bring or not. Either way, it's not going to stop what I'm doing in the earth. That thinking right there, that thinking is where a major shift needs to take place. Because we think, and and I'm going to say this very, very cautiously, very cautiously. But we think we have the capability to stop God's work in the earth. And we don't. We have the capability to move ourselves out of the way of what God is doing. Absolutely. And a lot of people have done that. Right? But the Lord's going to bring His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, whether or not we are on that train. Why? Because he watches over his own word to perform it. He would love for you to play a part in that. But he's going to save the earth with or without us playing a part in that. And where we get in the way, where we get in the way, is when instead of aligning ourselves with what he's doing in our culture, we try to create what he's doing in our culture and wonder why it's not working. So, I want to see all of Columbia saved. I, I, every time I go to a coffee shop, I talk to people. I mean, Lord, y'all, I mean, we have stories all the time of people who led somebody to salvation at a coffee shop or at work or at church or um, like here, like in the building or Tuesday nights or whatever the case may be. But the reason that we're seeing salvation in a season where a lot of people are still shut inside is because we're becoming what attracts salvation. Do you see this? So in one season, we had to strive to get people to repeat a prayer. In another season, we're living so saved that it attracts everybody to what we got. Because so, pe- people will hear this stuff and say, well, brother, you don't want to see Columbia saved. No, I want to see Columbia actually saved. I'm not going to settle for people who are good at repeating prayers. I think that's awesome. I think it's a great way to get people in if that's what we got to do. That's not where I'm going to stop. I'm not going to stop with people who know how to pray. I'm going to stop, stop when it comes to the, to the point in our culture where every single seated son and daughter knows how to pray because of who they are, not the words that they say. <sighs> Both Elijah and Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in intense refining. So it said, it said Jesus, when he goes into the wilderness, faces every kind of temptation. So he's not just chilling in the wilderness watching Netflix. Because he could have. Just like TV. Boop. Psh. How cool would that be? That's what I always like, Lord, you really want to make an impact? Back in the day, old school Jerusalem say, Y'all, check out this iPhone right here. You know what I mean? What in the world? Um, just kidding, just kidding. I mean, not really. It's that's how my brain works, but um. Both Jesus and Elijah spend 40 days in the wilderness in in intense refining. Check this out. You ready? What's the difference? One goes through this intense refining in the wilderness after attempting great ministry and seeing some observable success. Jesus and Elijah both go into the wilderness for 40 days. Elijah goes into the wilderness after having accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish. Jesus goes into the wilderness before doing one act of ministry whatsoever. The difference? One sees a little bit of success. The others shifts cosmic order back into its originality permanently. One more time. One more time. Elijah goes into the wilderness after attempting great ministry and seeing some observable success. The other, Jesus, goes through this first before doing any ministry whatsoever and shifts the cosmos back into their original order some of you are trying to leave the wilderness early. Matt, can you come up here? And Ellington, go ahead and come up here. Yeah, Ellington's going to play us a song at the end that he wrote actually out of First Kings 19. So good. I've been trying to trick Ellington into playing this song for so long and today I finally got it. <laughs> Man, I'm preaching on this. You need to. Listen, some of you are trying to leave the wilderness early because you want to make your dreams happen, thinking that that will fill the void in you. No, that will only make the void more apparent. Y'all hear me? Some of you are trying to leave the wilderness early because you want to make things happen. And you think by making things happen, it'll make you happy. If you used to trust in the Lord, but now you feel an urgency to take matters into your own hands, it's a sign that you need to take a secret place trip to the mountain of the Lord where you'll start to trade thunder, wind, and fire for the silence and whispers of his nearness. This is, I'm done. I wrote so much less than I had planned, so y'all just hang with me. If you used to trust in the Lord, but now you feel this urgency to try to make something happen, It's a sign that you need to take a secret place trip to the mountain of the Lord where you'll start to trade thunder, wind, and fire for the silence and whispers of his nearness. I used to be attracted to signs. Now I'm attracted to proximity. One more time. I used to be attracted to signs and wonders. Now, I'm attracted to proximity. Now, listen to this. One, signs and wonders, is a dare to find the other, proximity. But one, proximity, bears the fruit of the other, signs and wonders. When the Lord shows up in signs and wonders, when he shows up in fire and wind and uh, thunder, when he shows up in these observable acts, it's not for us to place our faith in the acts. When he shows up in these observable acts, it's a dare to find the source of the acts, which is proximity. What we did in the past, not us, but in the church as a whole, what we, I grew up in this. What we did is when the Lord showed up in signs and wonders, we said, we've got to start revival because he's here. We marketed it, we put it in the newspaper, and we had three months of apathetic services because he showed up in one service in Signs and Wonders. Now, when he begins to move in Signs and Wonders, I'm beginning to see that as a dare for us to go so deep in the secret place where we begin to see what we never thought we could ever see. And that might produce revival. I mean, Tuesday night. It's kind of like a little mini revival, I guess you would say. I don't know. I talk. If that's what revival is. But one, one of those will cause you, if you're not careful, to buy into that being the fullness of what God wants to do in the earth. That's a dare to find the fullness of what God wants to do in the earth. Right? So I believe when we see healing, when we see healing, that needs to be a dare for us to find the feet of the healer. It does not need to be the dare for us to find great healing ministries. Because if I can find the feet of the healer, I'm going to have a great healing ministry. If I try to make a great healing ministry, guess what I'm not going to have either. I mean, this this is, let let me speak to my people for a second. Let me speak to my people. This shift needs to happen in the church, specifically in the charismatic church. These are my people. This is how I grew up my entire life, with the exception of a few years. I've been in charismatic church. This is, if somebody asked me how I had to identify, I'd say I'm charismatic. Um, My people, my people. A lot of you grew up in the charismatic church. If you did not, it may not be this. But where we as the church, as the charismatic church, and I say we because I'm a part of it. Where we have to get to is we have to get to the place where whispers carry more weight than fire, thunder, and wind. We're not there. You know why? Because He gave us, man, I'm on, He gave us an entire year. He gave us a whole year of nothing but whispers. And we begged to get out of it. He gave the church an entire year to find the secret place so that we could be addicted to the whispers that would bring everything we've ever prayed for into the cosmos. And all we did, myself included, was kick and scream, and complain, and say, when are we getting back to normal, and when are we bringing the people back, and why on earth do we have to distance, and why on earth do we have to wear a mask? Instead, if we would have found the reason why we were in this mess in the first place, we would understand that maybe he gave us the blessing of a year to realign us back to where we should have been all along, which is the feet I, man, I can't, I've said, I can't wait till this mess is over. Man, I can't wait till we get back to, I can't wait till this thing gets back to what? The show? I mean, do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what are we getting back to? It might be something we should leave forever. What did the Israelites do in, in, in the wilderness? The Lord takes away food from them. there you go there you go the lord in the wilderness in the wilderness the lord listen focus in focus in focus in in the wilderness the lord removes food why to show them where their appetite was they go into the wilderness. The Lord has done all these miracles, signs and wonders, plagues and all that other stuff. Parted the Red Sea. All this stuff. They get into the wilderness. Their bellies start grumbling, and what do they say? We should go back to Egypt. We we get in, we get in 2020, right? And when the Lord begins to take away the show, what happens? Y'all, man, I'm getting hungry for some community. We need to go back to the show. And the Lord's saying, I brought you into the wilderness not to look back at what you had, but to look forward in what you've never had, which is actually what I've destined you for your entire lives. So if we, I'm telling you, it's been a year. We're about to come up on one year since the pandemic. One year. If we leave this year, if we leave this year and start saying we need to get back to what we had before. We're going to have to face Jesus one day and tell him why we weren't satisfied with him. I'm telling you, I I feel this all over me. I feel this all over me. I feel this over Norway. I feel this over all these churches that just keep, we just need to get back to how it was. We need to get back to how it was. No, 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 we need to lay down how it was because it wasn't working. It might have filled our churches, but our spirits were dead. So instead, let's find the secret place and raise up not big time leaders, but sons, daughters, daughters, fathers and mothers and bring this thing back into the family where we're not focused on what we produce anymore we're focused on who we become that's the shift because if all of our focus is who we become then we see the whole last year as a blessing if our focus is what we produce we see the entire last year as a curse That's the test. And I, I didn't come to preach on COVID today. I'm so sick of COVID. I'm, I'm the same as y'all. This is why this is convicting me, right? I'm not speaking this from somebody who's got it figured out. I'm speaking this from somebody who has been shoved to the floor this week with this. How dare I take what the Lord gave me as a blessing and call it a curse? I'm not, say, I'm not saying all the, de- y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about quarantine. I'm talking about things being laid down. I'm talking about people who have left the church. All this stuff. They didn't leave the church because they hated the church. They left the church because they were searching for what they could not find. But the Lord gave us a year to find it. We tried to give all of... And I say we because I played a part in this. We tried to give people what they wanted. So the Lord said, you know what I'm going to do? I love you so much, I'm going to shut it off for a year. And during that year, I'm going to give you a dare to find what you don't have. And we wandered through that whole year saying, Lord, what are you doing? This is the worst. This, How are we going to make it? Lord, just take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I used to be zealous for the Lord, but now I'm not. Lord, I've had enough. Like I told you, I prayed that prayer a thousand times last year. I've had enough. its I mean, there there was a season where it seemed like everything that I said, and y'all, some of y'all probably felt like this too, every single word that you say, you make a ha- half a group of people mad. Did anybody else feel like that last year? Like, you could say Jesus is Lord and half your church get mad. You know what I'm saying? That's just all of last year, you know? But I'm telling you, if we, if we could... This is why the message of sons and daughters and fathers and mothers is burning on me right now. And for a lot of you, it may not make sense. Tuesday night, you probably left some of you may have left saying, like, that was a great message, but I don't get it. That's okay. Some of you today might have come in and said, man, Josh, this is a great message, but I don't get it. I've never heard this father language. I've never heard this mother language, which is exactly why we're here. Okay, but the shift is happening. Because if I'm your leader, I said this to you tonight, if I'm your leader, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear so you come back. But if I'm your spiritual father, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear to host his kingdom in your life. And what we all have to make the decision is which one we want. Do we want fathers? I mean, people, especially people attending other churches than us right now. Do you want a father in your life? that's going to tell you what you need to hear? Or do you want a hype man that's going to tell you what you want to hear? You're going to have to make that decision. But as for me and my house, you know what we're going to do? We're going to serve the Lord, right? We're not going to settle. I I refuse to settle. People, Man, if we could just see signs and wonders again, we'd be there. No, no, no. I I think we're going to see signs and wonders again. And I think they're going to blow away whatever signs and wonders we saw before but I think the way that we're going to see it is his feet. That's the difference. That's the difference. We've had two great awakenings. You ever think about it? We've had two great awakenings and neither of them are active right now. So were we awakened or were we awake for a little bit? I mean, seriously, like in your life, have you been awakened? Have you been brought to being born again? Or have you just been awake for a little bit? Drastic difference. Have you been born again or are you just a better version of what you used to be? Right? This is Elijah. In one season of his life, he's doing massive things. In another season of his life, he's doing more massive things. But to the eyes of everybody around him, it looks like he's he's laid down his calling. No, that never was his calling. He just picked it up. Think about, I mean, Jesus. Jesus could have called down fire his entire ministry. If that's the aim, Jesus could have walked around the street saying, fire, psh, burn up everything. You know what I mean? He, he, he could have walked around saying, all right, y'all stop right here. I'm going to split that mountain right there. Watch this. <laughs> y'all want me to prove that I'm God. Y'all want me to prove that I'm sent from God? Check this out. C, part, boom. They would have all believed, right? No, but he went around to the people. Matt mentioned this last week. He went around to the people the culture had rejected. Most of the time in places that the culture wasn't looking, he went to the people the culture rejected and said, they might have rejected you, but you're my son or daughter. The woman with the issue of blood crawls through the crowd, reaches, touches the hem of his garment, and the first thing that he says is, daughter. The other religious people told her, scum, get out of my face. We can't touch you. It'll make us unclean. Jesus, the son of God, says, daughter. And then when the masses of people crowd around him, he says stuff like this eat my flesh and drink my blood and watch as all of them walk away. What's the difference? One started in the wilderness. The other ended in the wilderness. So bow your heads and Ellington's gonna sing this song because we're gonna just spend some time with the Lord for a minute. Bow your heads. I uh, I just wanna pray for you and then we're gonna open up the altar if you wanna come out and pray. If there have been things in your life that you feel like you've had an urgency to start making happen because the Lord's not making it happen right now, I want to encourage you to let Him finish the job. Do not leave the wilderness early. Do not leave the wilderness and settle for a career. Don't leave the wilderness and settle for a relationship. Don't leave the wilderness and settle for partying. Don't leave the wilderness and settle for, I don't believe this is my right school, but I, it's just opening up, so I guess I need to go there. I mean, whatever the case may be, do not settle for what is now. You need to wait on the Lord who will begin to renew your strength in a place called secret where you are so addicted to his feet that you'll actually begin to play a role in what he's doing in the earth. Not by what you do, but by who you are becoming. And when you do that, you'll do everything that your mind has set itself to do because it's coming from an image bearer, not from one who's trying to attain an image you can never attain. This image only comes through receiving. Bring us back to the whispers, Lord. Lord, bring us back to an addiction to the whispers. God, draw sons and daughters to fathers and mothers who will not allow them to settle for all the signs without the one who brings the signs. And even while we're praying right now, I just pray over Norway, South Carolina, Lord. Lord, this is, you talk about a season. Lord, this has been a season where a lot of leaders have had to try to make the decision if they're going to go back to how things were, and a lot of them are. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that you would not let them leave this season without a shift in perspective. I speak that over them right now people who have been doing the same things for 60 years, I pray that you would begin to ignite something in the secret place that would cause them to question where their priorities are. The fact that they have priorities. Jesus ain't your number one. He's the only one. We just need whispers today, Lord. We just need whispers. In your name. We're going to open up the altar. If you want to come and pray, pray where you are, whichever you need to do. And Ellington's going to sing this song and then we'll we'll wrap it up.